Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, say this. And Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, of course, talking about Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Of course, all right. So Abraham meets Melchizedek. All right, let's pray again, please. <laughs> Heavenly Father, again, we come before you through the blood and name of Jesus Christ. And again, uh, we just uh, thank you for being uh, good and merciful and gracious, dear God. Your Lord, you're altogether lovely. Lord, you're fairer than 10,000. You're the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. <laughs> Lord, you're our fortress, you're our shield, you're our buckler, you're our refuge, you're our strong and mighty tower. And Lord, you are indeed all that we need, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray uh, that special prayer for Joseph and the situation at uh, work uh, that he shared with us. Lord, please uh, uh, give him wisdom and uh, those that, uh, uh, dear God, need to make right decisions. Dear God, we pray that you'd work uh, in their heart as well. We thank you for Joseph's uh, testimony uh, that he is and the example that he is. Uh, Lord, and uh, the job that you've given him, and just a, a bless and guide there. Lord, I pray, God, that you help each of us, Lord, to be the testimony uh, you'd have to be in the areas, dear God, uh, that you've allowed us to be uh, an influence. So we pray for our young people. Lord, please work in their hearts. Help them to determine at a young age that they want to walk with you all the days of their life. And Lord, just uh, break down strongholds and build up hedges and uh, their life, Heavenly Father, we pray. Lord, we, again, we pray for the physical needs among us. Lord, we think of uh, little Robert and uh, Sister Kraft and Sister Sarah and, again, Sister Barnett and many others. Lord, please uh, touch them and have grace upon them. Again, we pray for the Word of God that has been given out uh, through this local church this week, whether it was at work or yesterday or any time. God, please take the incorruptible seed. And uh, work in hearts and draw people unto yourself. Now, Lord, as we uh, go through this uh, study uh, through the Word of God, uh, Lord, help us uh, to, to grow, uh, dear God. We want to uh, rightly divide the Word of God. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, uh, we want to love the Word of God and the God of the Word. So help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So, of course, we started the uh, patriarchal uh, stage, and, uh, of course, which... Uh, uh, deals with uh, mostly, uh, um, of course, a Abraham and uh, his and his descendants. And we talked about how uh, we saw how you know the first eleven chapters uh, dealt with you know over two thousand years, and yet the you know the, the rest of the uh, Genesis only deals with like three hundred fifty. And so how God puts more importance on what He is doing in your life, if you will, than He does what He's what's going on in the universe. And, of course, we are introduced to uh, the Abrahamic covenant and uh, Abraham's life and how God called him out of the Ur of Chaldees and how he had a layover there and uh, God had to bring something into his life, uh, the death of his father, to help him to, to keep moving. And finally, he, he moved on. And then uh, we saw how he messed up and he went, what, down into Egypt, right? <laughs> when you go towards the world, you're always uh, headed down. We saw that. And we saw the results of his disobedience, the results of his disobedience. We saw how, one, it weakened his faith. Two, how it gave him a poor 
testimony. Uh, three, how it caused uh, Pharaoh uh, to be uh, afflicted, and then how he ended up being rebuked by an unbeliever. So that really affected his testimony. And then, of course, we know that in Egypt is where he picked up a Hagar, and uh, we, we know what happened there, and we'll see some more of that. And then, again, how it ended up providing a bad example for his family. So we got to realize uh, when, we, when we make these decisions, especially as leaders of our home or or uh, whatever area that God allows us to have uh, influence that it just doesn't just affect us, it always affects those around us. And then we saw the situation with uh, Lot, right, his uh, nephew, and how, uh, you know, with all their belongings and everything, it caused contention. And so Abraham came, even though he was the elder, he, had, uh, he was the leader, he gave grace and said, all right, Lot, you just pick where you want to go and if you go this way, I'll go that way, or if you go this way, I'll go that way. And of course, we saw how Lot made the, made, uh, the wrong decision, right? His eyes got on those uh, uh, green uh, fields and ended up in, uh, in, uh, in, in Sodom. And of course, we, we saw where uh, uh, those kings came out and they had war. And then uh, it, despite a Lot uh, being in a bad place, uh, Abraham had grace and he went and delivered Lot. And that's sort of where the story picks up here with Melchizedek. But we saw through that that Abraham, one, again, was a man of sympathy. Even though uh, Lot probably deserved what he got uh, for his situation, you know, he still had mercy. And so that reminded us again, Galatians 6.1, right, which uh, uh, says what? If any of one be taken over to fault, ye that are spiritual, amen, uh, uh, go to him. Let me give, let's see. Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the, speak, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so before we, uh, we always want to deal with sin, but before we sort of look down our nose at others, we say, but for the grace of God, you know, uh, there go I. And so when, when, uh, when uh, people fall out into sin, uh, you know, we want to we address that, but we still want to be there for them. And then we saw how Abraham was not only a man of sympathy, but he was a prepared man. And uh, we as Christians, we always want to be prepared to help people. Just like it said in that verse, ye that are spiritual. Well, you don't become spiritual by accident, amen? You become spiritual by every day making a conscious decision uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So we, uh, we pick up here with these verses that we read where Abraham meets Melchizedek. And so as Abraham returned from defeat, defeating uh, Chedor Lamor, uh, the king there, he was met, met by Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of Salem, who was also a priest of God. Now the question is, who is this mysterious man, Melchizedek? Well, there's basically uh, uh, three views. Now, of course, uh, uh, the view that we would uh, probably take, or at least uh, I take, is that we believe, you know, it was Christ himself, and that uh, we believe that this was a, a Christophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of, uh, of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and uh, sort of a verse that we might use, some verses we might use to back that up, Hebrews 7, 1 through 4 says this, Hebrews 7, 1 through 4 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also gave a tenth part of all. Now notice in the Old Testament there, it says he gave a tithe. 
right? Well, a tithe is a tenth. A lot of people think just any offering is a tithe. No, a tithe is a specific percentage, a, a, uh, a tenth, you know? Uh, and so uh, that, I think that's a good to understand. That makes it pretty clear right there that a tithe is a tenth. And remember, this is, you know, before uh, the law. I'm not going to teach on tithing, but that is good uh, to remember. So, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now, here, here notice this verse, verse 3 of Hebrews 7 says this, "...without father, without mother, without descent." having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Seems to be pretty clear there. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham, again, gave the tenth of his spoils. So uh, a lot from you, you can learn from them verses right there. So uh, one view is that he... he you know, was uh, uh, Christ uh, pre-incarnate. Another view, or I guess, what, I guess what's supposed to be the traditional Jewish view, of course, you know, the Jews aren't going to say, well, we think that was, you know, Christ before Bethlehem. We know the Jews aren't going to take that stance, are they? So uh, the traditional stance is that it was, it was Shem, the son of Jonah. That it was Shem, did you ever? It was Shem, the son of Jonah. Now, the Bible says that Shem lived to be how old? 600 years old, 600 years old. So you know what? I went, I, I went back and I followed the line of Shem. I thought that was kind of interesting. I followed the line of Shem and I added up, you know, that Shem was uh, this old when he had his son and his son was this old when he had this son and his son was this old and all the way down until where Abraham was born. And I added it up. You know what it came up to? 500 something years. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It came up to 500. So Shem, if I understood it correctly, was, a, was still uh, alive at this time. I thought that was kind of interesting because he died at 600. Now, of course, we don't think, uh, we, we don't, uh, uh, think that that's who it was, right? Because especially what it says in Hebrews, but of course, you know, they're not going to look at the New Testament. The, the, but I just wanted to give you that thought that, it was, uh, that that's the traditional uh, uh, Jewish view. And then another one is just that he was simply the first mentioned king of Jerusalem. Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness and Salem, and it's just thought to be an early name for Jerusalem. So, but uh, I'll hold to the fact that I believe it was a Christophany, and I think uh, Hebrews makes that pretty clear, but it's good to understand what some other groups think, is, think as well, just uh, in case you ever, ever run across that. Now, Melchizedek says it brought him bread and wine and blessed him brought him bread and wine. I think it's kind of interesting that he brought him bread and wine, especially if you think of the fact that, you know, it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ and the fact because when we think of Jesus Christ, what do we think of? We think of bread and wine that he brought to his disciples. So I think that's another uh, good thought there. So this is the first mention of bread and wine in the Bible. And of course, it depicts, if you look at it as, as Christ, it depicts a future work of Christ. Uh, right, with the bread and the wine. And so the word priest first appears in the Bible at this time. Again, uh, again verse 18, uh, Genesis uh, 14, 18 says, 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought the, uh, uh, the bread and wine, and he was, there it is, the priest of the Most High God. The priest of the Most High God. So interesting here. So at this point, it appears appropriate to point out briefly the three great offices of the Old Testament. The three great offices of the Old Testament, which are, uh, anybody think of what they were? Three great offices of the Old Testament? Yes, sir. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Right. Here we see priest mentioned and then prophet. So the three main offices in the Old Testament are the prophet, priest, and king. So they each had a role. They each had a role. Now the prophet was the one who represented God to man. So the prophet represented God to man. God to man. Let me give you a, a, a verse there. 1 Samuel 3.20 says this, And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. He was established to be a prophet of the Lord. He was there to represent God to man. God to man. So a good thought there. And then there was the priest. The priest who was, who was there to represent man to God. So you had the prophet who represented God to man. And then there's the priest who represents man uh, uh, before God. Represented man before God. Leviticus uh, 1.7 and Leviticus 8.12. Let me give you a couple verses. Leviticus 1.7 says, And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And Leviticus 8, 12, and he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him and sanctified him, of course, we know to be a priest. So again, you have the prophet, God to man, and then the priest, man to God, and then the king. And then you had the king who was under God and then ruled over man. So you had the king that was under God, but ruled over man. So one more time, the prophet, God to man, the priest, man to God, and then the king who was under God and over man. Let me give you a verse for the king. Uh, 1 Samuel 10, 1 says, And Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is, not, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? This is where he's anointing Saul. And then in 1 Samuel eleven fifteen, 15, it says, All the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. Right? So the king was to be under uh, God, but rule over, rule over man. So now here's the interesting thing. Prophet, priest, and king. We come to the New Testament. Of course, we see Jesus Christ. And of course, he had all three of these, right? Uh, Jesus Christ is our, is our priest, right? He represents God to man to us. Right? I mean, our prophet, he represents God to man for us. And then he's our priest, right? Uh, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He represents uh, uh, man to God. And then he's also our king, right? King of kings and Lord of lords. So let me give you some uh, verses uh, for that. And Luke 7, 16 says this. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, talking about Jesus, that a great prophet is risen up among us, that God hath visited his people. So even they uh, looked at him as a prophet, but of course, 
the woman in what John 4 said, obviously without more than a prophet, which we know that he was. Hebrews 4.14 says this, talking him as a priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Then, of course, Revelations 19.16 says, and he, ha- and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name, I love this, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. So we don't make him king. We don't make him Lord, but we need to let him be who he is. Amen. King and Lord of our lives. So what a beautiful picture there. See, everything, even in that Old Testament, I can't remember who I was talking to recently, and they told me they, they rarely read the Old Testament when they first got saved, but once it started opening up to them, now they love uh, to read uh, the Word of God. And boy, you see all those things, right? There's that prophet. Oh, man, God to man. Oh, Jesus. Hey, there's that priest, man to God. Jesus. Hey, there's that king. Amen. The ruler over his people. Jesus. What a beautiful thought uh, that is, that everything points to Jesus. So here we look. uh, After Melchizedek had blessed him, Abraham gave him tithes of all that he had. We're getting ready. We're going to see something happen here pretty soon. Now, some believe, let me mention tithing for it, that the practice of tithing, giving one's money to God, was only to be done by the nation of Israel under the law, and therefore is not for us now. But I don't believe that's the case. Abraham tithed, of course, long before the law came into effect, 400 years. And then, of course, we know uh, uh, his uh, descendants did as well. And so uh, uh, we believe and uh, we still believe in giving. Uh, to God. And so uh, when we come to the New Testament, we're told, uh, not, not, actually, actually, it's kicked up a notch, if you will, in the New Testament. And we're told, amen, that everything that we have belongs to God. And that's why that includes our time, that includes our talent, and that, of course, that includes our, our uh, treasure. We're supposed to, amen, present all that to God. But so now remember the, the, uh, the, the kings there, that Abraham delivered what they wanted to give, some of their uh, spoil to him. But Abraham refused the materialistic offer of the ungodly Bera, who was king of Sodom. Bera wanted him to, to, to uh, share the spoils with him, but Abraham said no. He wanted everything that he had, amen, to be able to acknowledge that it came from God. Now, when God had finished, we're told that Abraham, what? Believed in the Lord. Let's turn over to 15. And let's read verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 15. And we see something God does here pretty interesting in this chapter. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham. I love that. Man, God he speaks through his word. The word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God... Look at this. Now, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given... Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born of my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bow shall be thine heir. Verse 5, and he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now, verse 6, here it is. And he what? And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. There's that 
famous uh, 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 verse, famous uh, quote, if you will, that uh, uh, we see so much concerning Abraham, concerning Abraham. So we see here, when God had finished, we're told that Abraham believed in the Lord and it counted unto him for righteousness. Of course, uh, this is the first uh, biblical mention of these three great words together, right? Believed, counted, righteousness. Believed, counted, righteousness. So let's uh, look at those three words for a moment. One, believed. This does not mean that Abram was the first man to, of course, this doesn't believe that Abraham was the first one to believe God. We know that others did, right? Enoch walked with God. Uh, Noah found grace in his eyes. But this is the uh, first place where these are actually mentioned together. So uh, we're glad that other people believed in God so somebody could be on that ark, right? That would have been a bad thing. So this doesn't mean that Abram was the first man to believe in God, but rather that his faith is to be a pattern or example for future believers. God chose him to be an example, right, of uh, future believers. That's why we call him the father of faith. Turn over to uh, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, and we see some good verses concerning Abraham and uh, this thought right here. Galatians 3, and we'll read verses 6 through 9. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 6, says this, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Think about that. <laughs> Preach the gospel. And boy, I tell you, that makes me, well, Jesus really messed them up when he said, amen. Abraham, amen, saw my day, rejoiced to see my day. He said, man, you're not even 50 years old. You're barely out of your youth, man. What do you mean you saw your day? Hey, listen, you need, what did he say? He, he messed them up. He said, well, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> boy, that, 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 that messed them up, didn't it? But isn't that amazing? It says that. And I love that over in Corinthians, I know I'm getting sidetracked, where it says, and that rock which followed them, and talking about in the wilderness, that rock which followed them was Christ. I mean, that's just uh, uh, amazing stuff. Verse 8, and the scripture for saying that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Right there, right? That seed, right? Talking about we saw it with the woman in Genesis 3.15, the first time it shows up, right? Now we see it go from the woman to Abraham, right? Of thee, talking about that seed, which is Christ, it tells us, tells us here. So uh, verse 9, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. See, everybody gets saved the same way. Amen. You know, I, I know people, some of these hyper dispensations, I know people, you know, they believe that people got saved different ways in different uh, uh, dispensations and all that stuff. Listen, uh, there's only ever been one way of salvation, one way of salvation. So uh, what a wonderful thing it is. So it does not say Abraham pleased God or appeased God. It says he believed God, amen, and that got the job done. Listen, it's not, it's not about pleasing God or appeasing God. It's just believing, believing the word, believing the gospel. So we see believe. Next, notice the word counted. Now, in the, in the New Testament, here it says counted, right? But, of course, uh, the word we think of in the New Testament is we see a lot is what? Imputed, 
imputed. So, and we know the word imputed means what? That banking term, right? To put to the account of, right? We like it when things are imputed to our account, as long as they're good things, right? Imputed to our account. So, uh, we know that Christ's righteousness was what? Imputed to us, uh, put to our account when we got saved. So, there are three main imputations in the Bible. Now here, let, let, me give you, let me give you these and some verses that go with them, right? Three places where you think of the thought of something being imputed or something being put to someone's account. And of course, the first thing we think about is sin itself. It's sin itself through Adam, right? Sin came into the world by Adam, and his sin was imputed upon the human race. His sin was imputed or put to the account of the human race. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, what as by one man, sin entered into the world. And what? And death by sin. So what? Death passed upon all men. Death was imputed to the account of every man. That's why we're all born sinners. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So the first thought of that word uh, imputed is that Adam sinned upon the whole human race. The next uh, thought for that is the imputation of, of, of the human race's sin upon Christ. So all of Adam's sin, right, was put upon the human race. But then when Christ came, all the sin of the human race was... So uh, might be said like this. The first Adam's sin, amen, brought sin to the human race. But then the sin of the human race was put upon the last Adam the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He became sin for us. He became sin for us. So the sin of the human race was put upon Christ. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, who his own self bear our sins, where? In his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. So the first one, uh, the, the first Adam's sin going upon the human race. The second one, the sin of the human race going upon the last Adam. But thank God for that third one, amen? Thank God for the third one, and that is the imputation of God's righteousness, amen, being put upon the sinner that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? So our sin was put on him, but thank God, because of that, our right, his righteousness is put on the believing sinner. Thank God. His righteousness is put to our account. Philippians 3, 9. And that we might what? Philippians 3, be found in him. Be found in him. Not having our own, my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that, that is righteousness, which is through the faith of Christ. That righteousness, which is through the faith of Christ. When I put my faith in Christ, right? The one that took my sin, he gave me his righteousness, right? The righteousness which is of God by faith. So what a beautiful thought that is, amen? Counted, imputed. Boy, a terrible thing when Adam's sin came upon the human race. An act of great grace when the sin of the human race was put upon Jesus Christ. And then great mercy, amen, when we believe by faith in Christ's righteousness was put upon us believing sinners and turned us into saints. So we see believed, we see counted. Now let's look at righteousness. This word simply, right? Righteousness. Uh, I, I like that thought, righteousness. I like this definition of, definition of righteousness. What is 
uh, uh, righteousness, it's his right in us. <laughs> amen. Righteousness, his right. Amen. What's everything that's right about him in us? Jesus Christ, his right in us, his righteousness. So the Bible teaches that all sinners, of course, are naked before God. Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. That and manifest, of course, means what? To be revealed, to be revealed. There's nothing that you've ever done. I don't care who you hid it from. I don't care how dark that alley was. Man, poor Benjamin, man. Ari left Benjamin hanging yesterday, man, and Benjamin had to walk down that alley by himself to go talk to that guy. But he survived, thank the Lord. Amen? And so, uh, uh, doesn't matter what you did, it was, listen, the Bible says, isn't that amazing? It says, you know, the Bible says the light and the dark is the same to God. Amen? You know, it doesn't matter. You know, we turn off the lights and we're like, hey, man, turn that light back on. Hey, you turn off, it doesn't affect God, amen, because he is light, amen? He can see all things. So, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him. Well, I love the way it states this. The eyes of him with whom we have to do. The eye, well, that's a good verse for witnessing. The eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hey, listen, friend. One thing, you're gonna, you have some things you're going to have to do before Jesus Christ. You are going to have to deal with Jesus Christ. You are going to have to face, it says right here, with whom we have to do. Sir, you can't get out of it. I don't care what you think. I don't care what your plans are. You can't get out of it. One day, even you're going to have to do. It says right there, the eyes with whom we have to do. So he sees it all. So some realize this and attempt to make their own spiritual clothes. But of course, God looks at all of our righteousness, what? As filthy rags, it says in Isaiah. Therefore, whenever a sinner realizes his nakedness and calls on the mercy of God, he gets a new suit of clothes. Amen. Revelation 19, 19, 18, of course, we're the church, we're the bride of Christ, and it says this in Revelation 19, 8, and to her, right, talking about the bride, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in what? Fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, and of course, the righteousness of the saints comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, let us, uh, so some, some wonderful thoughts there. Let's notice some other verses in Genesis 15, Genesis 15, look at verses 7 through 12. 7 through 12, some interesting, an interesting thing happens here. And then he said unto him, I am the Lord, God speaking here, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of Chaldees to give this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So he asked God a question, and God sort of answers it in an interesting way. Look at what he says. And he said unto him, that is God, take me in heifer of three years old. He said, Lord, how do I know I'm going to inherit this? Well, I'll tell you what you do. Go get a heifer. <laughs> and uh, getting ready to cut her up here. A three years old and a she-goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove. Don't know how old he had to be or how old the young pigeon had to be, but everybody else had to be three years old. And he took him all these and did, look at this. And he divided them in the midst. And laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Notice that. A deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now jump down to verse 17. And it came to pass, notice this, 
And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp, look at this, that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So, uh, uh, Abraham, he took these animals and he cut them in half and he lined them up, except for the birds. And of course, this was a, back in his day, that was the way for two people to make a covenant. When two people wanted to make a covenant, uh, they would, they would uh, each get uh, you know, animals from their herds, they would divide them, and then they would, they would you know, lock arms, if you will, or, or hand, and they would walk through the midst of these divided animals together. It was a blood covenant. It was a blood covenant that they were making, right? That they would have to be held to uh, the rest of their life. It was a blood covenant they were making. The the, the two people came. They said, we're going to make a covenant. They divided the animals. And then the two men or two people would walk through that blood sacrifice together and show that this was a serious uh, uh, obligating covenant that they were making. But what did we notice here, right? Abraham laid down those animals and... How many people walk through? One. One. God alone walked through. And what was that showing you? And then it says there, after God walked alone, it says the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So who was obligated? Who obligated himself to this covenant? God did. Now remember we talked about covenants. There's conditional covenants and unconditional. And God here made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. And he walked through there alone. He walked through there alone. Now, uh, listen, Christ, amen, at Calvary, what he, who went to Calvary with him? He went to Calvary alone. He faced death alone. He bore our sin alone. He died and went into the grave alone. He faced death and hell alone. He came back out on the other side, amen, victorious alone. So, amen, Uh, uh, death and blood had to be shed for the covenant of our salvation to be made. And only one walk through, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I've made a covenant with you, amen. And he, what is it? Because he walked through alone, what was he showing? It's an unconditional covenant. That's why we have eternal security. That's why we can't lose our salvation, right? Because he walked through alone. And he said, I make an unconditional covenant with you. And all you have to do is believe. And you get in on that covenant. Just like God walked through alone and made an unconditional covenant with Abraham, Christ walked through, amen, uh, the price of salvation alone, and he made an unconditional covenant with us. But here you see uh, uh, the, th- uh, the first of three uh, uh, interesting covenants that you see mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, this is known as the blood covenant, the blood covenant. And then there was also what is known as the covenant of the shoe, the covenant of the shoe which you see represented in Ruth. Uh, remember what happened when that, the, the kinsmen that, could have, that, that uh, could have taken Ruth, right, could have been the near kinsman, but he chose not to. And so what did Boaz do? What did he say? He said, take off your shoe, right? Remember that? The thing about the shoe, that was known as the, uh, 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 the shoe covenant. And then, of course, there's also what's known, which you see later, like in Numbers and Chronicles, the covenant of salt, the covenant of salt. 
So just prior to God's physical presence upon the scene here, he came in the, 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 the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And of course, Abraham went into a deep sleep. And as he slept, again, the presence of God passed through alone. Again, showing that unconditional covenant and that that covenant had been ratified by God himself. By God himself. And then we'll finish with this. We skipped over verses 13 through 16. But God, uh, before God does that, he makes a prophecy concerning Abraham's descendants. So let's finish up with that, verses 13 through 16. And he said unto Abram, Know a surety, look at this, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Now think about this. How many, how many uh, 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 years ahead he's making a prophecy about what? about Israel going into Egypt. This is a prophecy about Israel going in, into Egypt for those 400 years of slavery. Now look what it says here. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Right there it says it, prophesied in the word of God. And also that nation whom I, they shall serve will I judge. And boy, we know that God sure judged Egypt. And they shall come out with great substance. Isn't that amazing? They, you know, uh, uh, these people are getting ready to leave, and uh, God uh, turned uh, Egypt's heart, and they just started giving all their... They, they didn't even have a yard sale. They said, take it, get out of here, take it. That was an amazing story there. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried to good old age. He said, now these are going to happen to your descendants, but this is long after you're gone, Abraham. But in the fourth generation, they shall come thither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. He says, but listen, despite all that that's going to happen... Listen, I'm going to let you know that they're going to make it back here to this promised land. I promise you this land is an unconditional covenant, and I'm going to fulfill it. So here in these verses, we see that one, Abram's descendants would be strangers in a foreign land, that they would be servants in that land, that this servitude would last some 400 years, and that God himself would later judge that nation, and Abraham would be spared. So that after and then after spending those four long generations in Egypt, Israel would return to Canaan. And we know that's what happened. Israel would come out of Egypt with great substance. Amen. And afterwards, he would, they would make it into the promise land. And so that was part of God's covenant with him, just like a covenant he made with us. He said, listen, amen, uh, I'm going to make an unconditional covenant and uh, be encouraged. You are going to make it to the other side. You're going to come out of this thing and you're going to be, amen, in a better land. Man, you can just, it's hard just to sort of hit the high points of that, amen. As you go through, you can see how it'd be easy to get uh, uh, bogged down, but it's just a, 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 a blessing just to see all through the word of God. Grace, grace, mercy, mercy, uh, love, love. And you see that God is a good God, always has been a good God, always will be a good God.